Have you ever had someone do a horrible, unjust thing to you? How did you feel? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to take a careful look at what God says in His Word, the Bible, for yourself. A lot of folks abstain from the book of Revelation because they don't like the descriptions of powerful judgments against those who laugh at God. But our personal opinions about what we want to believe about what the God of the universe does and does not do don't change the reality of what he will do. His word reveals to us the fact that there is coming a day of reckoning when God will institute his kingdom on the earth. Revelation also makes it clear that you can choose to join the winning team before it's too late. Revelation also speaks to us about an ultimate time of divine judgment, and as we hear the fifth trumpet sound, we see pain like a scorpion sting attacked those who have laughed at God and persecuted his people. Listen as Dave continues his message titled, Abaddon the Destroyer, from Revelation chapter 9. Dave I remember one night Mary and I were sleeping in bed and suddenly Mary screamed. And man, she threw off all of our covering and everything else and she jumped out of bed and we went looking all the way through the bed and there was a scorpion in the bed that had stung her. And that gets you. That's awful. I mean, man, we could hardly sleep the rest of the night. We're looking everywhere trying to find those scorpions. Some of you have had that happen to you, right? There's nothing worse than having a scorpion nail you, especially when you're unsuspecting in the middle of the night. Can you imagine a scorpion, that pain, having that pain for five months straight? Like, I never forget when I was swimming when I was a kid in high school down in the Atlantic Ocean, down in Fort Lauderdale. And I got hit by a man of war. I was riding breakers. My brothers and sisters were ahead of me. And I got one last breaker. And I was riding it in. And it was really a great wave. It was about eight feet up in the air. And all of a sudden, I literally felt I got hit by a high-tension wire. Where in the world was, you know, the electricity in the ocean? And I was really looking for a high-tension wire because it nailed me right around the neck, went all the way down my back, all the way down, across my back, down my leg. And I came out yelling and screaming. I was about 13 years of age, and, man, I thought I was going to die. And it was just like bee stings. All along where that tentacle was, it was exactly like there was a bee sting. And I'll never forget the kid going, thanks a lot. You know, I got these bee stings that are just driving me crazy. It was so intense. You know, and it's going to last all the way till tomorrow morning. Can you imagine having that kind of pain that lasts for five months? That's the symbolism that's used here. What I believe the literal reality that's taking place is that God allows in this fifth trumpet, in the midst of the tribulation period, he allows this, this horde of demonic beings from the underworld, from the prison house, where usually God restrains them. And he lets them go forth. And I want you to see something interesting. They only hit the forces of Antichrist. They don't hit the ones that are marked by Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm going to seal those. Remember Revelation 7? So during the tribulation period, though the natural forces that come, again, like the the persecution from Antichrist and the terrible pressure that he brings, the believers in Christ during the tribulation period experience that kind of pain. But when God begins in the trumpet judgments, when God begins to counterattack, just like God protected the children of Israel during the plagues of Egypt, God protects his people during these trumpet judgments. And so it's the Antichrist forces, which is crazy. 
Here you have demonic beings that are bringing pain to those that are following Antichrist, which are following Satan. What you have is these demons counteracting themselves, really. One of the things that people always ask me when something bad happens, when something really bad happens, they always say to me, how could that ever happen? Why did it happen? One of the things I want you to understand about evil is that it doesn't make sense. It's part of the viciousness of it. It's part of the messed upness of evil. Evil doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense for demons to bring pain upon those that are already following the kingdom of Satan. But that's exactly what they do. Because they hate you so badly as a human being. Satan just hates you so much that even those that are underneath his power, eventually he'll bring pain to you. Now, he won't start out doing that. Usually he starts out making you feel good. Usually he starts out making you get along really good and your life's going along really well. But you need to remember, if you give over to his power and you start messing around with his evil things, just as certainly as in this fifth trumpet judgment, you're going to get stung and it's going to be worse than the sting of a scorpion. And I really want to put the fear of the consequences of evil in my heart and in your heart. There's lots of different interpretations of the way that Revelation 9 should be read. And some people will say, well, they're literal locusts that actually sting you. Maybe they are. I think that's a denial of the the kind of language that John says in the picture things to us. But we have another group saying, well, it's no big deal. It's no real thing at all. What I believe is it's neither one of those options. What it is, it's this horrible plague. And it's like a plague of locusts. It brings that kind of horror, that kind of destruction. It's like the sting of a scorpion, but in reality, it's really much worse because these demonic beings are able to bring pain just like they did in the ministry of Jesus against those that were controlled by him. And Jesus alone can set us free. But these people that are being stung don't believe in Jesus. They've rejected him. And so the terrible scorpion sting of this demonic activity is bringing them physical pain, maybe physical diseases, maybe different kinds of weird infections. All of those things could be part of what John's picturing for us in this horrible, horrible plague of locusts. Look what he says in verse 7 about them. He said, the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. If If you look at grasshoppers... In fact, in Arab Proverbs, they often picture the locusts being like horses. It says the locusts look like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces, so they have like a human intelligence. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had the breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. This I picture, you put it all together like some of you that are artists, you've got this picture of these impregnable locusts, these unconquerable locusts. I mean, they're as big as horses, their heads are gigantic, they've got breastplates so that when you try to destroy them, you're not able to. The whole thing is like, it's like a, a, a political, holy cartoon. It's like this enemy. Like, I could picture, to get across what John's doing, in World War II, if I was in France, I could picture the Nazi stormtroopers blasting through Belgium right into the heart of France in just a matter of minutes, a matter, a matter of hours. I could picture them as these gigantic horde of locusts. And I could picture them, just like it's pictured here, having heads as big as horses, have breastplates, having stings in their tail. I could picture that. And it would powerfully communicate in the newspapers of Paris. Do you understand that? 
Are you getting that? It's really important to understand that. Because that's what John is doing. He's painting this picture of this force that's coming against us. In this case, it's the demonic force. And he paints it to us in pictures that are almost surreal. But the sting is real. The pain that unbelievers will undergo during the tribulation period because they chose to be part of Satan's hordes and Satan's kingdom. That's going to be very real. But the imagery that, that John is giving to us is to cause the unbeliever to say, man, I need to get out of here. I need to turn away from this evil. I need to respond to the true God that John's been talking to me about early in the book. It's also to help us as believers know, hey, God is fighting for us. God will come through for us. When it looks like we're losing it, and it looks like we're defeated, it looks like we made the wrong choice to follow Jesus, these kind of plagues that are ultimately under the, the sovereign hand of God, they remind us who's really in control. Now, who's the leader of this tremendous scourge of pain that's coming upon planet Earth? It says that he's, they've got a king over them. Proverbs tell us that natural locusts don't have any king, but this demonic horde has an angel or a, a, a powerful princess over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is called Abaddon, and his name in Greek is Apollyon. Now, to us, those words, in fact, when uh, Jenkins and when Jerry Jenkins, my friend, and Tim LaHaye, when they write their book and they call it Apollyon, it looks like, man, what kind of a thing is that? What I want to understand is that when John wrote this and he mentioned to his Jewish Hebrew speakers, Abaddon, they would automatically think in terms of destruction. Remember in the book of Proverbs when it says, death and destruction is open before the eye of the Lord, how much more are the hearts of men? It's a verse you read in Proverbs. It uses this word, death and Abaddon. Because death and destruction go hand in hand in Hebrew. So it, Abaddon is a synonym for death, for destruction, for being destroyed. John also realizes that not all of his readers in Ephesus or in Smyrna or in one of these cities, he also realized not all of them would speak Hebrew. Some of them would speak Greek. So he says, well, the translation is, and he gives the second word here, which is a Greek word, Apollyon, which is from the Greek word Apollumi, which means to destroy. So both of these words mean the destroyer. The prince, the ruler over this demonic horde, his very name means the destroyer. If you don't get anything else from what we're talking about, if you think about this vivid imagery, and some of you have a really hard time with artistic pictures and you're more into mathematical stuff, one thing I want you to see really clearly is you can nail it. This demonic horde is out to produce death in your life. And out to destroy those that they sting. Now this is taking place in the tribulation period. But it gives us a profound insight into the kingdom of darkness. And I want to pray for that our little children, our teenagers, our young adults. I want to pray that every one of you are going to run like crazy from any kind of the dark, occult, demonic side. There's great power there. One of the things that this chapter is telling us is, man, there's power. They're like a locust horde. They're like a gigantic invasion, like the king of Babylon coming in the ancient Near East in the Old Testament. That's the kind of imagery that John's using. They're like the sting of a scorpion, only it lasts a whole lot longer. That's what John wants you to feel. Now, in Revelation 9, he's saying this is ultimately coming against the enemies of God, and God's going to win his great victory. And God's going to conquer. God is going to answer the prayers of his people. But I think John would be saying to us, don't underestimate the power of the demonic horde. 
Don't underestimate the influence of the evil one that's now at work. Because John will say in his epistles, even now the spirit of Antichrist is at work. Even now the evil one, like First Peter will say, that there's a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. And there Peter uses this imagery, just like John did here, of, an, of a lion that has iron teeth that's out to destroy us. And I want you to, when, you're, when you go to sin, and when I go to sin, I want you to feel that. I want you to remember that. I want you to hear of Abaddon, Apollyon. He's going to destroy me. He's going to ruin me. And I just wish with all of my heart I could just open up your heart and just pour that reality in that it's no fun in the end to play around with Satan. That's one of the major messages of this book. Whatever this demonic court is, one thing I know is they are led by a prince, a prince of darkness, one of... Satan's henchman, probably in this case not Satan himself, because he's not introduced really till Revelation chapter 12, and it would not be normal for John to kind of introduce him in such a nondescript way. But this is one of Satan's, one of his, the equivalent of God's archangels. This is one of Satan's dark archangels, and he is the prince of destruction. He's the prince that's out to destroy us. Now, the next trumpet judgment goes like this. This is the second woe. It says, the first woe has passed. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounds the trumpet. And I heard a voice. And the sound of the trumpet would be a sound of alarm. In, in, in this culture, to hear that trumpet blast would be like a sound of alarm. And I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. That's the altar of incense. And it reminds us that we're still in a context of God responding to the prayers of the saints. It said, it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this, for this hour, this day, this month, this year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million, and I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three, by the three plagues of the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. Again, you have this very powerful, surrealistic kind of picture. First of all, this is one of the most destructive ones so far because it says that we lost. Look at the population of the earth that's destroyed as they're released. You know, tremendous numbers. Like a, this would be like two billion people if, you t- if it took place in the next seven years or so in our culture like Jesus came and then we enter the tribulation period. So you're talking about the destruction of two billion people. I mean, that's on a magnitude of nothing that's ever taken place in human history. What is this idea of the release from the Euphrates? In the ancient Near East and Old Testament history, the enemy always comes from the area of the Euphrates. It always comes from the north. The Assyrians are the enemy of Israel for many years. Then it's the Babylonians. In fact, the prophet Isaiah will warn, the prophet Jeremiah will warn about the enemy that's going to come from the north. In fact, always when Israel is attacked, when Israel, when Jerusalem is attacked, it always takes place from the north because that's where Jerusalem can easily be entered. In fact, even in the wars in our culture, like in the, in when the, the Israeli paratroopers retook the Wailing Wall, they landed on Mount Scopus, which is on the north part of Jerusalem, and then they attacked that part of the city and they eventually took the Wailing Wall. So military, even in modern times, 
Jerusalem's very vulnerable from the north. So when John wrote to these Jewish people, the idea of this enemy coming from the north has this heinous, ominous kind of a feel to it. What it's describing here is that there was, there was demonic beings that were somehow imprisoned in this area. In the book of Daniel, we often have demons related to the great marching of armies. Like in the book of Daniel, we'll have the, the prince of Persia fighting against the prince of Greece. And you'll have this great, like a supernatural conflict taking place in the supernatural realm. And then it will be reflected with armies marching on earth. I believe that in World War II, you can see evidence of something far more heinous going on than just nations fighting nations. You've got an intense outpouring of evil and, and, and things just start to go like spiraling down into an incredibly chaotic, crisis, terrible, non-explainable kind of a conflict that takes place. The book of Revelation, I think, is describing that. I think what we have here is somehow a, there's a horde of armies, maybe 200 million strong. Maybe this is a little army. Dr. Wolver taught me at Dallas Seminary and held that this was literally a 200 million man army. And he talked about the Time article mentioning that in China, they actually can mobilize this kind of an army. And later on in the book of Revelation, it talked about the Euphrates drying up and armies marching for the great battle of Armageddon. Very possibly, John's giving us a foretaste of that. As he pictures the destruction they have, as you picture their mouth bellowing forth, it bellers forth, this highest synth would be like a blue smoke. The, uh, the brimstone is like fiery sulfur. It's an incredible picture of, of, you know, done in very surrealistic ways. I think it's a very powerful picture of what takes place in a modern battlefield. And so it's possible, like if the, if the tribulation period were to start, the Lord Jesus were to come back, Antichrist exposed, and the tribulation period were to start, it's very possible that this would be a terrible plague that would take place as the armies of the world begin to mobilize and a fourth of the world is destroyed because of this horrible plague. What I want you to see as we think about these two horrible plagues that we looked at today, the, the demonic plague that revealed itself in bringing terrible physical pain, the sting of a scorpion that lasts for five months somehow, this horde that, is, that has the terrible, like an Alfred Hitchcock horror of locusts landing and these very weird kind of locusts, and then the second plague, which are this incredible invasion, 200 million strong, this horde that's ultimately controlled by demons, it says this at the end of the chapter, and this is what blows my mind. After all of this, like if you had experienced the sting of the scorpion for five months, then you saw a fourth of the world wiped out because of horrible warfare that takes place, and the whole world is coming unglued. What would you do? Who would you call to? Who would you ask for help? Tell me. Who do you think you'd begin to talk to? You'd expect to. You'd talk to the Lord, right? You'd talk to the Lord. That's what I would feel you should do. Look what it says that these people do. It says, The rest of mankind, those that were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Remember I told you the idolatry, violence, immorality, stealing connection? There it is right there. What it's telling us is even what God is doing in these plagues is God is giving them time to repent. God brings, you know, he allows the demons to have so much sway. He allows them to have so much room. War breaks forth. But even in the midst of this, God is only slowly escalating the horrors of the judgment. But he's trying to get people to repent. 
Right now, you're here. Right now, you want to hear the Word of God taught. Right now, many of you are receptive. Some of you are really committed to this. Some of you are kind of on the edge. Some of you are way out there. You're just kind of here because, you know, you're just here. You know, maybe someone that's close to you wants you to be here. If you walk out into Satan's territory and you start messing around, like you start being a little bit immoral, you start shoplifting a little bit, you start stealing a little bit, you start doing other things, you start lying a little bit, you start sinning a little bit, I want you to understand something. That you begin to walk in a demonic domain and you might not be able to get out. One of Satan's biggest lies to you Like he'll tell you, when you first start taking drugs, for example, which is one of the things that's talked about here, the sorcery there is drugs. When you first start taking drugs, every person I've ever worked with with drugs says, I did it at a party because I wanted to have fun and I knew I could walk out of it anytime I wanted. And the person is totally unaware of the fact that after several months, they can't walk out. They're totally bound. That's what Revelation is describing. It's describing a hardness of heart that people get when they make the wrong choices repeatedly. That's why it's so important. Like in my own heart today, like as I talk to you today, there's the voice of the Holy Spirit working within me. And there's a voice of the Holy Spirit that makes me want to read this book. It makes me want to study it. It makes me want to apply it. It makes me want to be with you, to have fellowship with you. It makes me want to sing and praise God. It makes me want to help out and to reach children, all that kind of thing. In other words, there's this powerful spirit inside of me that's moving me to worship Christ. But there's another spirit inside of me. Another spirit inside of me, that old nature side that's influenced, that wants to do just the opposite of this thing. Even as a born-again believer, if you start walking in that old nature side, you can get so enwrapped in that that Paul says that God will just take you home. In other words, you'll lose your physical life because you become so wrapped up under demonic, not demon living in you, but under demonic influence that you can lose your physical life. Now, an unbeliever loses everything. When they keep walking out into into satanic territory, they keep following this attitude of Antichrist. They keep living for gold and silver and what this chapter destroys then what this chapter is revealing is even when God is thundering at them, God is pounding them, if they don't listen, they don't turn around. And the tragedy is what Revelation, to be really honest with you, I wish that Revelation recorded that there were thousands upon thousands of people that had decided to follow Antichrist, but they turn around and decide to follow Jesus. And that's just not the case. Now, there's millions of people that decide to respond to Jesus. But the book of Revelation says that those that make hardened, strong decisions to be sealed with Antichrist, they don't turn. The longer they live in the ministry, as I watch people, I see, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, in other words, there's some of you that really choose to respond to the Lord, and your, your heart is tender. You might slip into sin, but man, you listen to the Spirit, you come back, and you tend to keep moving down that track, and you keep growing more and more and more. But there's some of you that come for a little while. You come a little bit under the teaching, hear a little bit of the word of God, begin to respond a little bit. But then you begin to love gold and silver and you love the world system. You like the immorality. You like what's going on out there. It looks really exciting. And so you walk out. What the book of Revelation chapter 9 is saying is you might not be able to walk back in. Because that's the horrible, chaotic, seductive, intoxicating reality 
of evil. And John is writing this. It's really God's mercy because we're writing now before any of these events have happened. Like, you're not living the tribulation period. I believe if you're, if you're a child of God, you're not going to have to face this judgment. So God is very kind to us today to give us this truth about demonic activity. To say, listen, the demons want to hurt you. Stay away from them. War and violence and the horror of, of, of great world wars have something far more serious going on than just human conflicts. They're the tremendous supernatural conflict. And the book of Revelation is calling for us to worship the Son of Glory because Jesus is not the destroyer. He's not Abaddon and he's not Apollyon. Jesus is the author of life, the giver of good things. Father, this is a hard chapter. And even going through it, uh, we struggle with the imagery. We struggle with the power of what John is saying. The ideas that John presents just cut totally across what's politically correct in our culture. Lord, the lies of our culture are so intense that there really isn't moral absolutes, that you can do whatever you want to do, that you can sin with immunity, that there's no ultimate judge that will really deal justly with situations that take place in the earth. Father, this moral relativism is so strong around us. The, the denial of the reality of Satan is so strong around us. The belief that we as human beings can use our science, that we can use our psychology, we can use our genetic engineering, whatever it might be, to conquer whatever problems we face. Lord, Revelation 9 is screaming out that that's a lie. That we have an evil, something far greater, a far more serious horror to deal with. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus has saved us from the abyss. That when we're under his blood, that we never need to fear this kind of, a, of an imprisonment in the chaos of evil, in, the, in the, the fires of hell. But I'd ask you, Lord, that we'll realize that this abyss is real, that there is a place in the spiritual realm where those that reject the Son of God, those that choose to willfully live for themselves, those that choose to worship just gold and silver and, and material things, and those that break your commandments, there is a place where there's going to be great suffering and great hurt. I'd ask you, Lord, that that would be a great motivation for us to tell our friends about the Deliverer. Only your Holy Spirit can help the reality of, of the destructive power of evil for us to really understand it in our hearts. Only your spirit can give us the power to turn away from it. And I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that because you've entered my heart and the hearts of so many of my brothers and sisters that we don't have to fear these terrible trumpet judgments that are going to come upon the earth. I pray that anyone that doesn't know for sure that they're connected to the lamb that was slain, I pray that they'll make sure that they have that connection. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.